When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. You never want to find yourself out on the water fishing without the essentials. So it's best to always pack a Columbia PFG Solar Stream Elite hoodie to protect against the sun. I mean, it provides great protection, and it's really breathable so you don't get hot. That's a win-win. Columbia PFG has a lot of great gear. So before you head out on the water, head over to Columbia.com slash PFG to shop their performance fishing gear. It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. 17-14 is the final. One touchdown, we are world champions. Believe it, and it will happen. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Hello, everybody, and happy Wednesday, and welcome to another edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live right here on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. Big Blue Kickoff Live is presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle of the New York football Giants. I am John Schmelk. You might recognize this man from the Giants hangout. We've decided to really drop him into the fire here, and he's going to be joining us on BBK once a week in the offseason, and then we'll see what happens. One of our writers here, Matthew Sytak. Matt, what's up, man? Uh, not much. Happy to be here. You know, I've I've been on BBK as a guest before. Yes, a little segment. I've sat in Pearson's seat before on the on the other side of the camera. This is my first time as a host, so it's a pleasure to be here. Relax, have fun. Don't feel pressure. We can edit anything and say that that, that you say that's stupid, and nobody hears <laughs> anything. It's fine. Callers, take it easy on them. We're trying to work them a little bit here. All right. So a lot to talk about here. Obviously been off for a couple days. Uh, a lot has happened, mostly giant assistant coach hires. Let's get to the two most recent ones first, and we'll open the phones, of course, at 201-939-4513. Uh, running back coach Joel Thomas comes in. Obviously the Giants lost their running back coach. He went to Syracuse to become the offensive coordinator. And Joel Thomas has been with the Saints as their running backs coach since 2015. There's obviously some history before that. I don't think it's significant when you're in one place for nine years. What he was doing 10 years ago to me, not that big of a deal. Um, Matt, he a guy that's been around Alvin Kamara for a long time. A guy to me that has a similar skill set to Saquon Barkley in terms of being a two-way player. Seems to me a pretty good fit. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as we see in the NFL today, there's a lot of turnover with coaching staffs from year to year. And the fact that he stuck around for nine years, granted a lot of it was under Sean Payton, but even when things transitioned to Dennis Allen, he stuck around, they kept him there. I mean, I, that is a good sign that the organization felt strongly about him. And, you know, this is a lateral move for Thomas, but the Saints did make a big change on the offensive side of the ball la uh, last week on the coaching staff with letting go of their longtime offensive coordinator. So I'm assuming that's why they then allowed the position coaches to at least interview and look at you know lateral moves across the league, which is how he ended up here. Yeah, Pete Carmichael out, and they're going to try to make a lot of changes on that offensive staff. You can kind of tell there was some friction with Derek Carr down there a little bit over the course of the year, trying to make that right since Derek Carr is under contract uh, for sizable money. So they're trying to make that work there. But he's going to come in here, and now you look at this Giants running back room, and it's interesting. 
We'll see about Saquon Barkley. We know he's a free agent. You know, free agent. Going to be right now. The Giants can franchise tag him if they want. Uh, Matt Breda, he's another veteran that we'll see if he ends up being here next year. And then you have Eric Gray, who I think is another interesting player who has some receiving skills, shows some quickness as a running back. So I don't think we quite know now, Matt, what that room's going to look like. But Thomas should have some talented players to work with. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, we don't know exactly where the offseason is going to take us in terms of the Giants running back room. You would think that maybe, you know, Joe Shane, Brian Dable, upon hiring Thomas, let him know, like, hey, this is what, you know, we think the room will look like. You know, whether that is bringing Saquon back, whether that's addressing it, you know, within the first maybe day two of the draft, like, I'm assuming that they gave him some sort of idea of how they thought the running back room would shape up to be, which is you know why he agreed to come and again in a in a lateral move. But he's definitely going to have some talented players to work with. Eric Ray, you know, did not see much time, much action as a running back this season. Not at all, uh, except for the last the last game. He mm-hmm. had a, a couple of touches the last game. I believe he finished with about three carries for like 20 yards, 19 yards, had a catch for five, six yards, showed a little bit of that, you know, the the juice that he showed in college that, you know, made the Giants go out and take him. And obviously the biggest question in the terms of the running back room is whether or not Saquon is back, which as of January 17th, we have no idea. But if Saquon is back, I would be very excited to see what Thomas could do with him. As you mentioned before, Alvin Kamara, you know, this year is, you know, he was what he was. He was suspended the first couple of games, had a, a big stretch when he first came back where he was one of the best, looked like one of the best running backs in the league, and a lot of that was his usage in the passing Caught game. Caught a lot of passes. Caught a lot of passes. Oh, I think he had one game with like 14 receptions. <laughs> he did, yes. It was nuts. It was, it was only like 70 yards, which is the funny yeah. thing. It was like five yards catch. If you look back at Kamara's stats overall in the season, you know, I wouldn't say that they necessarily jump out the page and look like, you know, old school Camaro, but he had however many years as one of the top running backs in the NFL, mm-hmm. one of the top dual threat running backs in the NFL, which, as we've said, that's what Saquon fits under under that mold as well. Yeah. And look, we'll, we'll see what the Giants do. And of course, if they do go running back in the draft, and again, I stress not a great year for running backs. I don't think one will get taken in either the first or second round as of today. That's what I've been seeing, I, too. I think you'll probably get a third-round guy. Maybe it's Jonathan Brooks out of Texas coming off yep. the ACL. Could be a Blake Corum type. We'll see. But not a great running back class in the draft this year. And then what is old is new again. Aaron Wellman, who was the Giants strength and conditioning coach for four years under uh, Ben McAdoo and... Pat Shermer is back in the building. Uh, coach Fitzgerald went down. He's going to be the strength and conditioning coach at Florida. So Aaron Wolman comes back. And I know him and Fitzy had kind of been in contact with each other even earlier in the year talking about things. And, you know, this was a deal. He was going back to his alma mater where he started. So it was kind of like a heart thing for Wellman mm-hmm. going back there and leaving the Giants. So happy to have him back. He kind of started the Giants change in terms of getting guys prepared, doing a lot more of a modern approach to strength and conditioning, tailoring programs to individual players and position groups to make sure these guys prevent some of those soft tissue injuries which started to go in the right direction when Wellman first came on. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I'm very excited about having Aaron Wellman back in the building. Uh, I saw this morning on Twitter uh, Pratik Patel, who was here a couple seasons ago. Mm-hmm. He was our the director of performance nutrition and assistant strength and conditioning coach. 
he responded to the news of Wellman coming back to the Giants, pretty much praising the organization and saying, great hire. And the thing that stood out to me was he listed, Patel listed from 2009 to 2021 where the Giants ranked in terms of average games lost due to injury. And as you mentioned, Wellman was here from 2016 to 2019. And in that four-year stretch, the Giants had their three of the healthiest seasons among in that 13-year stretch, including two seasons where they had ranked seventh and eighth in terms of least amount of games missed due to injury. My God, leave that up. <laughs> I'm looking at 2013 to 2015, and I want to fall off my chair. So and I, didn't, I, I hadn't seen this until you just brought it up. So from 2013 to 2015... The Giants were last in the league all three years. Aaron Wolman gets here in 2016. They jump up to seventh. Okay? Yep. Eighth in 2018, 25th in 2017, 17th in 2019, and then the two years after that, 25th and 27th. So good track record there when he was here with the Giants. I haven't had a chance to talk about the Giants' new offensive line coach, so I'm going to be selfish. I'm going to do that here. Go for uh, it. Carmen Brasillo coming over from the Las Vegas Raiders. Brian Dable keeps hiring bald guys with beards. I'm 1,000% in favor of that. we got to make the club bigger. I'm all in favor of that. I think Joel Thomas is actually in that club as well. I think he is a beautiful shaved head as well. Yep. So we are just making the club bigger as we all have our meetings, secret meetings after everyone leaves the building. <laughs> um, but again, a couple notes on, on Brasil. He was at Youngstown State as an offensive lineman for a very long, offensive line coach for a very long time. Went to New England, kind of worked on the offensive line there from 2020 to 2021. So there are the Dable ties. Table wasn't on the staff, but clearly he has connections there for guys that worked with him. Then he went on to the Raiders, was their offensive line coach the last two years. And we always talk about pressure rates here because that's the best indicator of how good of a, of a line you're going to have. Definitely. And it's really funny. His two years at the Raiders were almost diametrically opposite, right? So in 2022, they had the 27th, best passer rate, so that's seventh worst, right, or whatever it would be, at 37.7%. Yet Josh Jacobs had the best year of any running back. They ran the ball fantastically. Then last year, the Raiders couldn't run the ball that well until Antonio Pierce took over this past year, but they were fifth best in the league in terms of pressure rate allowed, with that rate dropping down to 31%. So one year, run great, pass not so good. Next year, other way around. So I don't have a real good beat here on what's going on. The Raiders, I should point out, they're not a team that's sending a bunch of offensive linemen to the Pro Bowl either. So you have to look at the talent that he's working with as well. So I think you like what he's done, especially given what was on the roster with him in, in, in Las Vegas on the offensive line. And I think you have to hope that when he gets here, mission number one, Matt, has to be get Evan Neal playing the way you thought he would be playing when you drafted him out of Alabama. Oh, definitely. And I mentioned this on, you know, the last Giants hangout, you know, after the season ended, saying that whoever was hired as the offensive line coach trying to, I don't want to say fix Evan Neal, but trying to get the best out of Evan Neal, what we saw from him in his Alabama days, sure. has has to be the number one priority for the off, new offensive line coach. Without a doubt, that is number one. And I'm encouraged with what Carmen Brasillo was able to do with the Raiders these past two seasons, specifically this past season. I mean, you mentioned they had they were one of the best in uh, pressure rate allowed. Pressure rate mm-hmm. allowed, yeah. And one by the way, I, I shouldn't have shortchanged Colton Miller. Colton Miller is an excellent offensive lineman. He's a guy that has made Pro Bowls. I forgot about him in my head. But go ahead. I'm sorry. For sure. No. Colton Miller, what I was going to say is Colton Miller is basically the only guy from their starting offensive line that played most of the season that comes from like a – 
you know, high asset. Act, like it took a lot to get him there. High he pedigree. Was, he, he was like 17th or 18th pick. Yeah, in the draft, he was a first like round pick. Mm-hmm. They don't have other first round picks. They don't have you know high priced free agents. What Priscilla was able to do with the unit this past season, mm-hmm. he kind of put together kind of like a ragtag group of offensive linemen, and they went out and performed extremely well. And and you mentioned Josh Jacobs. Beginning of the season, the Raiders blocking was definitely on the poor side. Josh Jacobs struggled to get to find running lanes. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo was the quarterback then. He was facing some pressure. But after, I want to say, the first about maybe six weeks of the season, that unit just completely changed things. They completely turned around. This even dates back... I think believe before Pierce took over as head coach, but certainly continued once Antonio Pierce was there. And Josh Jacobs put together his best games of the season yeah. in the last couple, like six weeks of the season. The only two games he rushed for 100 yards. He had another game, 98 yards and two touchdowns. Like We finally got to see Josh Jacobs, the one that led the NFL in rushing in 2022. We saw a lot more of that the final, I would say, two months of the season uh, this year. And this was not a... You know, team that has this high-powered passing game that teams had to like drop no, a bunch of safeties deep not. against. You know, Devontae Adams, obviously a fantastic player, but Aiden O'Connell was their starting quarterback for the games in which the run game did the best. Yeah. So, yeah, I think you got to give him credit for that. I mentioned Colton Miller. I really like Dylan Parham coming out of Memphis a couple years ago. He was mm-hmm. a center guard combo, but I, th- I think he dropped to the third round I if, I, re- so, if yeah. I recall. So again, not a high pick. Then you have Andre James, Greg Van Roten. And Jermaine Illuminor, who frankly has been a journeyman that has been a, almost a failed swing tackle in a lot of spots. So the fact that with that group, they put together an offensive line that was able to frankly help the Raiders turn their year around the second half of the year, I think, I think you have to be pretty excited about 100%. that. All right, we have a bank full of calls here. I was going to take time to like do lessons from the playoffs, but since we have a bank full of calls. Let's get to them. If you run out of calls, I'll get to the playoffs over the weekend. We will get to that as we go along here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. But first, remember, go subscribe to the Giants Little Podcast, everybody. It's brought to you by Citizens, the official bank of the Giants. A lot of interviews. Right now, we have a couple episodes going up with our end-of-year wrap-up interviews of Madeline Burke in the locker room. We have defense first. Pearson, is that correct? And then offense going up after that. Those will be the two episodes this week. I'm working on getting Jim Nagy from the Senior Bowl to go up next week. And then I have another interview I just did today with a, a new person that's working over at a PFF who did a great article talking, ranking the number of offseason resources each team has in terms of cap space, draft capital, and article. where they rank. Giants rank fifth in that. So I, I thought like it was that. a good article. So that'll be going up on the Giants Little Podcast next week. Make sure you go check it out on your favorite podcast platform, Giants.com slash podcast. And if you're on Apple Podcasts, please leave a five-star positive review. For all of our podcasts, including this one, Giants Huddle, and Draft Season, which are going full out for everybody every Wednesday. Hits just recorded that with Tony earlier today. That'll be hitting the airways later on on Wednesday. So make sure you check that out. All right, 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Let's get to the phones, and we'll lead off with Wilson and Roxbury. Wilson, take it easy on the kid, please. Wilson all once. Pearson, will we lose Wilson? All right, put him on hold. See if you can track him down. Let's go to Hugo in New Jersey in the meantime. Hugo, what's up, bud? Hey, good afternoon, guys. What's going on? Um, Not much. Hey, John, um... Last year, and I think it was for one of the uh, 
Giant Life episodes, you asked Coach Dable a question, and it was, uh, first year on the job, tell me what you learned. This was essential. I'm paraphrasing, but that was your question, which is a good question. And um, Thank you. You know, I, I'd like to, uh, well, he, he, here's my theory on human nature. Okay. You learn more from, from failure than from success because human nature being what it is, you just become much more reflective um, when you're in a, uh, in a situation of failure. Yes, and Hugo, by so the way, I, I, I go back to what John Mara said at the press conference uh, last offseason, where you can go from you know Bono to Bozo very quickly, and I always say yeah. this, you learn most about people when they face the most adversity. When things are going exactly. well, it's easy to ride the train. When things start going poorly, that's when you learn about people, when you learn about teams and, and organizations. Definitely. So, so, so I'd like to, for him to answer that same question again this year in the context of uh, failure this past season. And um, ho- I'm hoping that uh, he provides some real insight as opposed to just coach speak. But I don't want to edito- editorialize too much there, but uh, the, the, I think that would be the right question to ask him. Well, you know, if I get the chance to do something with, with Coach Dable, um, I will certainly ask that question. Okay, very good. Well, uh, I guess it was about a week ago um, – Paul and Howard were on, and I gave them sort of my uh, off-season plan. And uh, it's based on my observation that one of the core issues with this team last year was a lack of um, physicality and toughness. And I point to the uh, evidence on the field, which is poor tackling, inability to stop the run, a poor running game on offense, and just being atrocious in short yardage situations. And and what I told them about my offseason plan in terms of priorities in free agency was bringing two guards, one a high-priced one, and one sort of a middle-tier guard to compete with Josh Azudu and McKeithen and whoever else. And then uh, an edge and a three technique. And I know, John, that differs from your view, which is do everything possible to fix the offense. But I'm in the camp of I don't want anything to do with Higby or Mike Evans or any of these shiny toys because the lesson of the past has been you overpay for those guys in free agency and you get the likes of Golden Tate, Kenny Galladay, and even uh, Darren Waller. Now, so I, I will say this, those... Hugo, I will say this, and this is just in the, in the defense of a one player you mentioned. And by the way, Higby, I believe, tore his ACL. So, that uh, that, that, so, so that, and I don't think you want to add another free agent tight end. You just brought a Darren Waller anyway. But Mike Evans, and again, I'm not advocating for Mike Evans right now. Um, he's still playing. He's in control of another team. Compared to the other wide, I mean, heck, compared to almost every other wide receiver in the NFL, does anyone have a longer, more impressive track record in consistency? than Mike Evans year to year. I mean, I'm, I, it's, I don't want to use the word sure thing, but this is not Kenny Galladay coming off a hip injury. This is not Golden Tate who started to dip a little bit before he got here. I mean, Mike Evans is, he's a Hall of Famer. Like, you know what I mean? Uh, but I kind of look at the scarcity factor. There is there is a pipeline of wide no, receivers and that, and, and, coming you know, that's into the fair. NFL. That is absolutely year. fair. Hundred percent. That's fair. No argument. So why so why overpay for thirty years? Again, I, I was just 30. defending Mike Evans as a player because I think he's serially no, underrated by people, and he is a great. He drops too many passes, but he's a great, great yeah. football player. Yeah, ten straight seasons yeah. with a thousand yards. First player ever to yeah. start their career that way. He's actually, I think, of all the players in the league, he was the one that has like the best chance pace wise to actually catch Jerry Rice, depending on how long he plays. Believe it or not, Definitely. which is crazy when you think about yeah. it. Yeah. 
now, John, given given your insights into the into the draft, yes, sir. I have sort of a crate. I have maybe what is you might consider a crazy observation. I'll see what what you think, but uh, I think there's two surefire players in this year's draft where I could say they're not going to be bust, and the two are. Um, you know the receiver <laughs> Marvin Harrison Jr. Which, He's pretty which, good. Who will, who will he? Who will not be there at three? And Joe Alt. And the reason why I say that is this is an anecdotal observation, but if you look across the NFL, any player that has NFL bloodlines and has a uh, day one or two or day two grade coming out of the draft never seem to bust. I mean, I could go through the list from Anton Winfield Jr. to Patrick Sertain. I thought the one guy who would never make it was Orlando Brown Jr. Because when I saw his combine workout, I said, "No way!" Oh, it was a disaster. But he's even had a gr- he's even had a, gr- a a good NFL career. No, yes, absolutely. So, so, uh, so I don't think there are like literally no buffs when you look. That may be the most highly correlated uh, characteristic for success. That that I can think of more than forty times, more than three shuttles, more than anything. Now else. I haven't looked. I haven't looked at his numbers, and we haven't. And the Giants haven't played the Chargers since he got drafted. How has Asante Samuel Jr. been with uh, LA? I think has he been I good? Think he's been, he's a good, been good. He's yeah. been yeah, good. I think he's, he's been, been a good, good player. Yeah, he's been a good player. Okay, he's been a good player. So uh, so look, <laughs> this may sound a little crazy. If you come out of the draft with Joe Alt. Uh, Jeremiah Trotter Jr. and Chris Jenkins Jr. I would not be unhappy. I would not be unhappy. I'm not. I'm not saying that that should be the draft strategy. Oh, but I would not be unhappy. <laughs> no, look, and look in, in, in terms of the guys at the top of the draft, and, and Matt loves the draft, too. So he's oh, yeah. the guy that compiles all like the drafts and mock drafts every morning on Giants.com is this guy right here. So he's going to be with us talking draft all offseason. To me... There are, and I'm going to take the quarterbacks and I'm going to put them aside, okay? I'm not going to count yeah, them in this discussion, okay? That's what I do as well. I think there are four true blue chip players that I would probably have ranked in terms of pure grade ahead of maybe anyone else in the last two draft classes, to be totally honest with you, or close to it. They are, Aiden Hutchinson would kind of be in the mix with these guys too, I think, would be... Um, Brock Bowers, the tight end, and this is in no particular order, but again, tight end, are you going to pick one of the top five, et cetera, et cetera? But Brock Bowers is going to be a great pro. He's a really good player. Uh, Joe Alt, who you mentioned, wonderful player. I'd be thrilled if the Giants took him. Marvin Harrison Jr., agree, really good player. And I love the Penn State offensive tackle, Olu Fashano, too. I think he's wonderful. I think he's great. Um, I think he's one of the best pass protectors I've ever watched in college in terms of athleticism and length yeah. and stuff like that. And then I think... A mini step down. We're not even like a full step. This is like, you know, you get to the end of the staircase and you're like the mini step. That's the Malik Neighbors and Roma Dunzier group. I think those two guys are also wonderful, wonderful players. So I I think of the top ten picks, nine are going to be offensive players. I think all the first ten are all going to be. You think ten? I think it's going to be ten. I, thought Dallas, I think Dallas Turner might sneak in there as maybe number ten. Only because the first, again, the draft's in three months. A lot can change between now and April 25th. Well, that's kind of, so you got the three quarterbacks. The three quarterbacks. The two offensive linemen. Two offensive linemen. Three wide receivers. Agreed. And Brock Bowers. That's, so that's nine. nine. And that's why I think And now the reason why I think it's going to be the first 10 picks is because the Jets are sitting there at number 10. And they need an offensive tackle. And they, if they do anything other than pick someone that's going to help Aaron Rodgers in some form, I would be shocked. Again, you never know. It's the draft. 
players as between in the pre-draft process players that no one ever thought was going to be a top 10 pick good point find their way in and guys that people thought were locked to be in the top 10 slip their way out so you never know the one player i would like to add to the to the group you mentioned from the, the blue chip prospects from the last few years panay sewell oh agreed that's fair the fact that he dropped to number seven in the 2021 draft i did not understand at the time i still do not understand almost three years later he is an all-pro offensive tackle. Everyone was saying he was going to be an all-pro offensive tackle. And I know there there are definitely some teams at the top of the 2021 draft that regret the decisions they made. Yeah, I wasn't going back as far as... Tw- I would put Jamar Chase in that group, too. If we're going to oh, count 2021, yes. I would put Jamar Chase in that conversation as well. For sure. But let me look real quick, since, you, since we brought this up. Um, 2022... I would put Aiden Hutchinson in that group, and I think I, I had Kayvon High, too. I mean, I had Kayvon, as terms of on the field watching tape, I had him as, as the, the most talented edge rusher in the class, so I'm not going to back off that now. And then last year, I was not as high on Will Anderson as everybody else. I did not have him in that elite group, so those would be the blue chippers over the last three years that I was really kind of on board with. Yeah, no, I agree with that completely. Well, well, John, just, uh, just to close this out, sure. uh, in, ter- in terms of my off-season plan, uh, I did listen to the, the Giant Huddle podcast, and Sean O'Hara uh, is aligned with me in terms of going on guards um, in free agency. And, you know, uh, Solomon Wilcox said something interesting, something I've been thinking about, uh, which is what a force multiplier or a good offensive line is, and, and he and he points to the Detroit Lions. And when I think about the Detroit Lions, you know, Amon Ra again. This point about bringing in a number one receiver, Amon Ra St. Brown is a nice player, but I wouldn't call him, you know, one of the top five or top ten receivers in the league. He's a one B to me, one B. Yeah, put him right. But, I, but then, I but then look at he, doesn't, he doesn't have the big play over the top stuff. That's the problem. That's true, but he catches that's, any, that's, anything that's thrown in his no, direction. Absolutely, great play. His yeah, agility but, and but, side-to-side movements. Not many that, players but, better I, than him. But one of the commentators last week said something interesting, which is given the time Jared Goff has to throw, um, it allows uh, him to run his routes on an extended basis, which, again, it's this force multiplier of the, of the offensive line. But look at their other receivers, Khalif Raymond, Reynolds. I mean, they, they do running back by committee with Jameer Gibbs and uh, Montgomery. Uh, I mean, Laporta was a good tight end, but even but their offense last year after they traded away Hawkinson was still good. So, uh, you know, I think this aligns with my offseason plan. And um, and by the way, just a comment about Fashanu. I like him, but I saw him against some uh, some of the tough competition, Penn State, and Ohio. he's a little too soft for my taste. Actually, he looks the part. Definitely, he's athletic. And all he is that, not but, overly. Fi- he needs to work on his run blocking. I think that's fair. It, uh, okay, so so going back to my staying consistent, tough, physical, <laughs> that's what I want to focus on. I've been on the phone for too long, guys. No, I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you, Hugo. All right, just out of curiosity here, who would I put in my 1A group? Jamar Chase, Devontae Adams, A.J. Brown, you know, St. Brown's close. I mean, he's definitely he's definitely a top 10 receiver. That's for 100%, sure. hundred percent, without a doubt. Yeah. If you I want mean, to say he's not top five, that I can understand. Yeah, just I, I, I would put him between five and ten. Because the guys in the top five are, you know, the best offensive players probably yeah, in the entire Yeah, so I NFL. would go top ten, Chase, Adams, A.J. Brown, no particular order now, Diggs, 
St. Brown, Tyreek, CeeDee Lamb. And I'm only at seven there. Yeah. Is, is, is Puka already in there? Ah, boy. Because that was know. just about the best rookie season I tell you a what, wide I, receiver could have. I'd almost going to put Nico Collins in there with the year he's had. Nico Collins, too. To be honest with you. Those got to be, that has to be the two biggest breakout receivers of the season. Yeah, I think he does. I mean, I don't know if Chris Olave has gotten in there yet. Mike Evans, is he still in there? No, look. Yeah, you know what? Amon Ross St. Brown, I didn't realize he had 1,500 yards and 119 catches. That's pretty darn good. Yeah. All right. You convinced me. I'll put him in there one day. And just something to keep in mind, you know, three of the wide receivers we just mentioned, Amonra St. Brown and Puka Nakua are two of them, both fifth-round picks. Well, not, yeah. Not top-of-the-draft elite prospects that got drafted, and almost Amonra took a little bit longer before he really went off. He he kind of broke out in, I want to say, the second half of his rookie season. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, as we saw Puka Nakua do throughout his rookie year, he blew up from week one all the way until this wild card game this past weekend setting the rookie record for most receiving yards in a game well, postseason game i believe that both stefan diggs and devon the adams are both day two picks also correct neither one of those guys are first round correct were they? yeah they were both day two picks so to hugo's point you can find wide receivers there's so yes. many of them you know, great offensive tackles aren't dropping to the second round. That, that you, it, it, is, it is not a deep list of day two dominant offensive tackles. You can find a lot of day two wide receivers. That is true. But the one thing to keep in mind there, and this is coming from, you know, Daniel Jeremiah, the Daniel Jeremiah's, the Mel Kuypers of the world who know a lot more about this upcoming draft than I do, I'll admit. The two, two of the deepest and most, both top heavy and deepest positions in this year's draft, a wide receiver. And offensive tackle. 100%. These are, there are guys that are going to be taken in the second round of both of those positions that will definitely go on to have very strong NFL careers. But you just don't know which, which of those guys going in the second round is going to yeah. be, obviously. Just to give you a preview, folks, the debate we're going to be having for the next eh, three months and change, if the great offensive tackle and the great wide receiver is sitting there at six, which one do you take? Yeah, it's <laughs> definitely going to be probably the biggest debate. And we're going to be sitting there. Well, if you pick him here, who's going to be there in round two at the other spot? And that this is going to be the type of conversation we're going to have for weeks upon weeks upon weeks. For sure. And I will say over three months ahead of the draft, if I had to make a decision this oh. second. Hot take it. Let's go. I'm not even going to say players, just positions. I think I would have to go with what you originally said, which is offense alignment at six. And then wide receiver with our first second round pick. You just feel better about finding a wide receiver in round two. I think wide. there are going to be some very good wide receivers that will be taken at the top of the second round. And there have been very good receivers taken to the top of the second round in the last couple of years. One of the top wide receiver free agents this offseason, T. Higgins, was a second round pick in uh, was 2019. Whatever it was, yeah. Whatever mm -hmm. year it was. Second round pick, and he's about to make, whether it's from the Bengals or another team, he's about to make a lot of money this offseason. As most likely, if he leaves Cincinnati, he's most likely going to get paid to be a team's number one wide receiver. So, again, January 17th, over three <laughs> months before, that is where I would say right now. Just because the talent at wide receiver, I think, is going to be a little bit better the early part of the second round than offensive tackle. Sidetack, we're going to hedge in his bets here. He's, he's a pro. He's like, I'm not going to get trapped in January. I'm going to hedge my bets. A lot, a lot can change in the no. pre-draft process. And, and trust see it every me. year. And, and we should stress this. It's January. Yes. People talking about team, team needs and stuff right now, it's silly. Free it's agency silly. hasn't happened yet. Bingo. So... <laughs> 
But I, in terms of Hugo's plan, and then we'll get to the next call. I know we're taking along on this, but I brought up a lot of good points. Shut up, Pearson. Uh, <laughs> I hear you stickering <laughs> over there. I know. Uh, I do like the concept of garden free agency because this is, you, know, you go to your point, you go get T. Higgins, you're paying, the conversation starts at $25 million a year. It's half of that for the top of the garden market. Oh, yeah. So for sure. that's why I think non premium positions in free agency. That oftentimes, to me, is how you go, and you look for those premium positions in the draft where they're... Obviously, you get them on those rookie deals, and they're a lot cheaper. Yep, 100%. 201-939-4513. Cliff in New York, he's up next. Hello, Cliff. Hey, guys. Great to be with you. It's nice to see you, Matt. I read your stuff in Cover 4 and elsewhere on the website. Ah, thank you. Appreciate it. Sure, sure enough. Um, I wanted to talk about the defense, but I had a, a couple of quick questions. Uh, the free agency starts March 1st? No. Uh, I believe the negotiating period starts March 11th, I believe, is the Monday. Wow, you have that memorized. You're better than I am. i got to look it oh, up. Yeah. As soon as the season ends, all, our focus just immediately turns to the important off-season date. So I believe that 48-hour negotiating period is... Monday, March 11th Monday, to Mar- 13th. At noon, right? And correct. then the official league year begins at 4 p.m. on Mar- Wednesday, March 13th, which is when teams can officially start signing free agents. And you can designate your franchise player starting on March 5th. Yes, a week before. And you can talk to your own guys, obviously, anytime you want, but you can't talk to anybody else? Correct, correct. Unless a player gets cut from another team. The player gets cut from another team, then they are allowed to sign pretty much immediately with the new team. Yeah, because they're basically a street free agent, so they can basically then do whatever they want. Yeah. Okay. And one other thing before I get to the defense, the, the, the receiver that's jumped out at me watching playoffs is, is Nico Collins. I mean, th- this is not a receiver who resembles at all Jalen Hyatt and, and uh, Wendell Robin- Wondell Robinson, right? I mean, this is a much bigger guy, right? Yeah, Nico Collins is a freaking tank. That guy's a monster, yeah. and I'm so happy. Yeah. The guy that I stand for four years ago in the draft finally is coming through. <laughs> I love the Nico Collins. I was I never understood why I was a pick higher. Then he gets drafted. He was hurt all the time. He didn't produce again. The quarterback over there has something to do with that. But finally, Nico Collins looks like the guy I thought he was going to be coming out of Michigan. Oh yeah. And to answer your question, yeah, he is six foot four, two hundred fifteen, two hundred twenty pounds. He is a big guy that is very different. You know, body form than Jalen Hyatt or Wandell Robinson. True X, true X wide receiver, uh, yep. contested catches, all that stuff, speed. Oh, so that's what the X really means. It has to be a big dude, doesn't it? It has the guy that you're willing to throw the ball to in single coverage, even with safety over the top, that can make catches with not a lot of room to work in. That's what you want from your X receiver. Think Mike Evans, um, think Jamar Chase, yeah. think Nico Collins, uh, th- 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 those types of guys. Right thing about Evans was I, it took a couple of years to understand why he was drafted ahead of Odell, but not anymore. Um, I mean, Mike Evans was always so, pretty good. <laughs> he was amazing at Yeah, college. but he, I guess he didn't get as much. Maybe Tampa wasn't that good his first couple of years or something yeah. like that. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he literally has not had a year when he hasn't had 1,000 yards. Right, right. Well, anyway, when, when Wink left, um, I was thinking of a couple of things. First of all, um, uh, you, you guys coached me up a lot a couple of years ago when he first came around because I was uneasy about him coming in with a different kind of defense because the last time I heard about that was James Betcher and that didn't go very well. And, um, no, it did not. Uh, huh? I said no, it did not. It did not. No, it did not. 
Um, and so I was worried about that. And when he left, uh, I was thinking, wait a minute, uh, the NFL is a notorious copycat league, and, and if what he was doing with the Ravens was, was so terrific and all the raves he got uh, when he was with us, I don't think he's ever been copied anyplace. And, and um, you know, maybe it, maybe it doesn't work as great as advertised. Uh, the, the other thought I had about it was that there was a report which, uh, when he was first hired that it really might have been a rushed hire on the basis of, uh, being afraid to lose him because there was a report, and I, I remember whose it was, if you want to know, but there was a report that there was an open phone when, when uh, uh, Dable left the room, uh, and I think he was on the phone with Wink, and none other than Thomas McGahey was standing there, and you could hear that Wink was now talking on the phone to somebody else, so he breathlessly tells Dable when he comes back that Wink is talking to somebody else, you better do something. So it's kind of an odd irony that they're both gone now. Yeah, I, um, I, I, don't, but, I don't recall that specifically, but look, you, know, you don't just start willy-nilly throwing out coordinator jobs to people without putting a lot of thought into no. that process. Especially as a first-time head coach. Yes, yes correct. <laughs> well, the thing that you guys were coaching me up about anyway, once we did get started with Wink, was was that I was stuck on where are my big dudes in the defensive line besides Dexter Lawrence, and I, I knew Leonard was here, and I, I was happy about that, but it seemed like we needed, it seemed like all the great teams over the years, and this is where I get confused with different schemes, uh, it seemed like they always had a, a rotation of big athletic guys who could not only stop the run but could also get upfield. And and uh, well, there are many that, of those guys, Cliff. They're, you know, huge guys that stop the run and rush the passer. Those are Pro Bowlers. There are you can't just find those guys. Okay, well, that's that's answer number one. The other answer I got was that don't think that O.C. and Strahan uh, were that big, but they were coming. They were coming more kind of like the edge, but they were still on the defensive line. And uh, what I'm really getting at is that when I got most excited this season, by the way, I thought we had a good year, which I, I thought was a strange thought at 6-11, and 11, and it, maybe it had to do with finishing 4-3, and three, even though the last three was 1-2. and two. Mm-hmm. You know, there was kind of a, there was some pretty good things that happened, and even, even the level of points scored, even if some of them were from the defense, they weren't all. It seemed like we really got somewhere. And, and, uh, What's your the, overall the point, of, What's your overall points, last question here? Uh, that when the um, when we were doing really great this year, when I was feeling the best about the team, especially the defense, it seemed to feature the fact that both Leo and Dexter were getting upfield from the inside, sure. and that don't you still need that no matter what scheme you have? No, good, good, good question. And yes, you need a plugger, and then you need a guy that's going to be your three technique. So, you know, for the fans that don't understand the 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 nomenclature. You have your nose tackle, which plays either over the center or between the center and the guard, right? So they play that's either a zero technique, which is straight up on the center, or the one technique, which is between the center and the guard. Then you have the three technique, which is generally your quicker, faster, more athletic defensive lineman. That's the guy that's going to play in between the guard and the tackle, where he has more room to operate and get upfield. And they do not have a traditional three technique I don't think on the roster. Jihad Ward, I think, actually did a pretty good job doing that in, in spots and passing situations. But, no, that's something that they're going to have to replace after they traded Leonard Williams halfway through the year. Yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, after the trade of Leonard, Ashawn Robinson is the you know interior lineman that saw the most playing time, saw it increase. And while he definitely had a strong second half of the season, he's not a guy that's going to go out and 
get after the quarterback every single passing play. Great it's, run stuffer. Yeah, he's mm-hmm. great against the run. That's you know generating pressure, not necessarily his strong suit. It's not why he was brought in in the first place. So, yeah, someone to play alongside Dexter, I would think. I mean, Nacho theoretically would probably be the next guy up is the next guy that's under contract that would come back. He would be yeah. the starter at defense. I think, yeah, we don't know what kind of a front they're going to play, but he would probably be the next guy up. After and Dexter. I think he will be part of the, you know, rotation that uh, Cliff mm-hmm. was just mentioning. Regardless of who the coach is, what the scheme is, he will certainly get his fair share of playing time going into next season. Thank you, Cliff. Appreciate the call. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. DJ's in Virginia. DJ, what's up, pal? Hey, how you guys going? What's up? I, uh, real quick, I'm, I'm at work, so it's kind of like hard for me to talk and see if I can get in the quiet area. All right, be quick. Yeah, so I, yeah, I have two questions. Uh, I'll be real quick, um, and I'll take the answer off the air. Sure. So I'm curious, with all that's going on with Dave Old and the coaching staff, um, why, why is Kafka not, like, talked about more like is his job safe like why is his job safe for you no but is brian, is brian dable said no brian dable said he wants him back and he expects him to be back there's no indication that mike kafka doesn't want to be here that's why the assumption is that he's going to be here the only way he i think he's not back is if he gets hired as a head coach right and he I said saw he interviewed with one team and got a request for a second interview as well correct yeah i saw that i saw what he had two requests yeah um but, yeah, the, the production on the offense didn't seem like it was all that great. So, you know, it seemed like when he was checking, you know, all these other positions and saying, you know, hey, we need to see if we can, you know, find someone better for this, you would you would think the offense, being as it didn't have that great a year, would have also been under that microscope. Yeah, but, DJ, but anyway, when, when, when you um, run through three different quarterbacks in one year and then you have all the offensive line injuries, I think that's a tough job for any offensive coordinator, to be honest with you. Yeah, I understand. I understand that. Yep. Yeah, and so my other question was: I understand there's not like a salary cap as far as like the coaching staff goes. Have you ever have you ever heard of like uh, co-offensive coordinators? Because I like the guy in um, in Washington, uh, Eric Enemy, and he also runs that same Kansas City offense, right? Is there a chance maybe having a co-offensive coordinator thing? I don't think, and and, and appreciate the call, DJ. Good stuff. I don't think when you have a situation where the head coach is also an offensive guy, you know, Brian Dable has a big control over what happens offensively as well, that you're going to have the head coach and then two co-coordinators on top of that. I have seen, Matt, situations where you kind of have a pass game coordinator, a run game coordinator. The Chiefs kind of had that, by the way, when they'd be enemy there and they brought back the former head coach of the Bears. Matt Nagy? Matt Nagy, yeah. Nagy handled more of the pass game stuff. The enemy handled a lot of the run game stuff. And that's how they handled it there. I would I would be shocked if we saw a situation like that next offseason, especially next season, especially since I know they feel so highly about Shea Tierney. They're not going to want to bring in another person over Shea, who I know they think very highly of. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I could not see that happening here. I will say, though, in general, across the league, there definitely are teams yep. that will mm-hmm. go into a season with co-offensive coordinators, co-defensive coordinators, it happens, I don't want to say every year, but it, it happens somewhat often. And so, they'll split it front back, run run, run it yeah. mm-hmm. And so it does happen. I don't think it will happen here. And just in terms of BNME in particular, this is a guy who obviously was with the Chiefs for a very long time, was one of the most respected and well-regarded coordinators in the league for a long time. Last offseason, did a lateral move. Was it last offseason? Mm-hmm. Yep. Lateral move to become the offensive coordinator in Washington. I don't think that Biennemi 
would be interested in again another lateral move to be a co offensive coordinator. I remember he did the lateral move so he could call plays. Yeah, in which he would I not don't do think that. He would he, do no, that. Correct. Yes. So while he definitely the enemy because of the change going on with the Commanders and they're hiring a new coach, who knows what staff he'll want to bring with him, whoever gets the job. The enemy could be looking for another offensive coordinator job for sure, and I think he will easily get one. Has he gotten a head coach interview? I haven't heard his name anywhere. Have you? Don't. I don't remember. I think I might have seen him. Let me, let me get one. I will Google one sir, request. Go Sorry about that. Go ahead. Uh, but yeah, I just if he, he's going to take another job, if it's not if he doesn't stay with the Commanders, it's not going to be to split the duties with someone else. He's going to get a job somewhere else. If it's not Washington, being the sole offensive coordinator, likely the play caller, because he still has you know hopes to be an NFL head coach. So yeah. I do not. The only team he seems to be connected to is the Commanders. Okay. Interviewing him in-house. That's I guess it. I saw that report from before the season ended saying that the Bears might be interested in him. But I don't well, think I've seen that they... You know, where well, the Bears have a vacancy now, right? Yeah. They don't have an offensive coordinator. They let Luke Getze go. That is true. So that could be an opportunity. And Eric Bieniemy is staring Caleb Williams <laughs> right in the face in theory. That is not a bad spot to be if you're a guy that wants to coach an offense. Oh, yeah. After years of being able to coach Patrick Mahomes to then get <laughs> to coach the quarterback prospect who they say is the closest thing to Patrick Mahomes. And by the way, he is. That's he accurate. Is. Uh, I could definitely see that as a move for Bieniemy. Charm life, huh? I mean, jeez. <laughs> I mean, look, it, it's a player's league. If you're a coach, you want to attach yourself to good players. That's how you succeed. But, whew, man, charm life if that happens. <laughs> Let's go to Wilson and Roxbury. Wilson, he's back. What's up, buddy? Hey, Johnny, how are you? I, I don't know the gentleman's name next to you. Hey, it is Matt. I'm Matt. Hey, what's up, man? How are you? Hey, I'm listen, good. Matt, how you man, doing? Make sure you sit him. I'm doing fine. Make sure you sit him down because that could be a rough call. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> John... John 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 loves me and he loves pain. That's why he takes my calls all the time. Wilson, I sometimes so, uh, that's what I always say, Wilson. So you know, I, I I like to do what I want to do, but most of the time I do what I have to do. And that and, and I think your phone calls will definitely follow into the second group of that. What do you got? Hey listen, uh John before I get to uh Brian Dable and the Giants real quick, uh as horrible as this season was for us Giants fans, um just seeing the, the 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 Eagles' faces on the sideline and Jerry Jones on national television, that kind of numbed the pain a little. I mean, that was pricey. So I, I, I would us, just say, Wilson, beware of Schadenfreude. That is something that can feel good in the moment. Well, and I will say this to Paul Dottino well, when I see him tomorrow, but sometimes <laughs> long-term, uh, hey, it hey, can hey, be hey, rough. But, yes, uh, I understand what you're saying. Hey, hey, listen, man, the, the, past, the past five years, six years has been rough. So, anyway, I'll take I'll take any happiness if I can. I totally get it, Wilson. <laughs> reveling, uh, in the, hey, yeah. re reveling in the pain of others, Wilson. A great look. I love it. Hey, hey, hey. I, I take it any way I can, John. You know how it is. But uh, hey, listen, okay, so listen, guys. At least he's self-aware. Um, That's that. true. <laughs> I will. I don't hate. I do what I got to do. But, Johnny, listen. Yes. Um, you know I'm not a Brian Gable fan. I think I don't think it's a hit, good head coach. And uh, everybody tells me, boy, he made the playoffs, Wilson. So they've been like So uh, that, that doesn't fly anymore. But I did tell you, I did tell you a couple of weeks ago that I gave him his credit for yes, keeping the team together for whatever, for whatever that was worth. And I said, I'm going to try to keep an open mind. 
after last week, I can't. John, listen, to lose seven seven uh, uh, coordinators in one week is not normal. The only thing that happens is when the owner cleans house and the first ones to go is is the head coach. Wait, wait, wait. Seven, wait, 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 wait. Well, so no, it's seven what did they lose? Seven uh, coaches seven you're talking about? Coaches. Oh, assistant coaches. Yeah. You say coordinators. Yeah. That's why I was confused. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I'm sorry. No, I'm that's sorry. okay. That's okay. I mean, I, right. I, mean, I got you. And the whole thing, you know. I got you. The whole thing. Now, and, now remember, remember, well, so two of those list. two of those were guys I, leaving voluntarily I, for other positions. They weren't I, guys that got I, fired. I, you know I, what I, I mean? I, I, Johnny, I know, but you don't know. You, we don't know. I don't know what's going on behind closed doors. But listen, forget about that. It was seven either way. Then I got a. Then I got a read from from from. No real uh, uh, journalism. Not this. Not some guys that are working in, in their basement. That this guy has created a really bad, a toxic working environment. I mean, this, these are real journalists. They're, they're not like some guys, like I said, and somewhere in the middle of God knows. These are real journalists that are saying stuff like that. That it's really hard to work in that building. And then. I mean, and, and then, and you know what? And I have to tend to agree with it because when I see this guy on a podium, I mean, this, not, this guy is not a likable guy, John. He acts like he has won 10 Super Bowls and he has a one squat. Wilson, all I, all I will this. tell you is this, Wilson. My personal experience yeah. out of, I've been here since Tom Coughlin in 2007. Sadly, yeah, recently, I've been through a lot of head coaches. He is the most yeah. personable friendly head coach that I have ever worked with here at the Giants, and it's not and, even close. And, Johnny, that, and that, I don't, that's all I can I tell you. And, and I, will never doubt, I will never doubt your word because I respect you and I love you. you and know and, most, of the, and most of the end, that is my opinion. That's my experience with him. That's all I can go on. Okay. But my experience uh, with him is right. that he's, and, a, he's and, a really nice and guy. And I like to just right, say that right. I had – Pretty much the same exact. Ahead, exp- I had the same experience with John. I've been here less. This is my fifth season okay. with the team, so I've been here for three okay. head coaches. Okay. And da- Brian Dable, without a doubt, as you said, the nicest, okay. the friendliest. To you know, okay. even to us, okay. uh, biz- employees on the business uh, uh, side, uh, uh, the peons. <laughs> Matt, Matt, listen, and, and that's fair. That's fair. Unfortunately, I'm not in the building, and I have to rely on some stuff that I read. Now, no, I got you. Is, is everything true? Is, is everything true? No, but I don't think nobody just wakes up one morning and just comes up with stuff like that. There's got to be some merit to whatever all these writers are writing. All I'm saying is this. All I'm saying is this. Uh, I mean, I don't want to think this because I love the Giants and I want I want the Giants to win. I don't care who the head coach is. I don't really care. As long as they win, I don't really care. It's that when we start losing, that's when everything, all this stuff, blows up. All I'm saying is this. He better. He better not start one and four again next year, because he cannot blame Dane Jones anymore. We cannot blame the. Uh, I, if he starts one and four, John, and and the wheels come off, and then and then like I, I read that Joe Shane was listening into, into the conversations just to make sure that this this guy wasn't unhinged. I mean that's for not for you guys, Gabby. You guys are in the building, but for, for fans like myself that are, are on the outside. That we don't know what's going on. We just have to go by what we read and what we listen. No, I, it's, I get it. It's, it's not. It's, it's not. It's not like we. I. We. I. You know. I thought we were past this. All right, now Wilson. we got to go again next year with a lot of questions and the head coaching stuff. Hey, look, that Wilson. I, you know, you no, know what I'm saying. It, it's, no. just, it's just. It's not right. It's not good. It's no, not good. Wilson. Not look, good. look. I appreciate the call. And look, do the Giants have to win more games next year? Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. No one's going to make that argument. Um, but look, you have to understand anonymous sources in a paper. Look at another article that came out in, in the New York Post the other day. You'll see the other side of that, right? So I don't know what's going on in coaches' headsets. I don't have them on. I'm not, I can't talk about that because I don't know. I don't have direct evidence of any of that. But keep in mind where stuff comes from, what it is. I get your opinion. I get where you're coming from. I get what you're reading. Happy to take your call and talk about it. But my personal experience with Brian Dable is nothing but positive. And look, I, I was, you, you know, you got so mad at me two years ago when I used to defend Joe Judge. Like, you said, Shmelk, how could you do that? I got along great with Joe. I did. I had no problem with him. Um, but Brian Dable, from our experience, and look, you go in the cafeteria, Cytac, every day, all the assistant coaches with Dable are sitting there eating lunch together. Every single day. Every day. As every a group. Day. Offense and defense together. During the season and during the offseason. Correct. This is, they, it, from our experience and from what we see, it appears to be a very tightly knit group. It does. And that's I, all I could say. And all I want to add, you touched on this, is in terms of these recent reports, all I'm going to say is there are two sides to every story. You don't, I would say, just don't believe every single thing you read because it, it might be true. It might not be true. We, as John said, we don't know. We're not, you know, privy to exactly what's going on in all of the coaches' meetings and stuff. But they're just, just keep in mind that there are always two sides to every story. Two I, one. I also love that he said he acts like he wins. he's won 10 Super Bowls. Well, he's been on five Super Bowl winning staffs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Pearson loves to <laughs> remind everybody about the New England Patriots Super Bowl championships. <laughs> he did learn from potentially the greatest coach who has a certain way of interacting with the media and it has worked well for him over the years. Yeah, don't don't take too much out of demeanor in press conferences, okay? No, like, I mean you and don't. I both go to just about every single one of his press conferences and his personality, you, he shows his personality at times during his press conferences. Like the whole thing with Dan Duggan and the hair thing the other exactly. week was funny. Exactly. But when he's not in front of the media and he's just in front of employees, players, coaches, you see a different side of him that is not shown in the media. And that is the side that John was talking about, the, the friendly, the nice guy. I mean, I've had many conversations with Coach Dable since he got here. Don't think I had a single one with the two coaches that came before him. I want to give you one example real quick, and then I'll, I'll move on from this real fast, just to give you an example. This isn't me killing the guys before at all, because Tom Coughlin's like my favorite person in the world, and he can coach my team any day. But if you had something set up with Tom Coughlin, you better be on time. If you had something set up with the other head coaches you've had here, you better be there on time. They have a very regimented schedule. It's tight, right? I trained myself under Tom Coughlin to be 15 minutes early for these things, okay? So, two stories. One, we're in London, and uh, this was the, for the game last year. I was getting a workout in. We were supposed to interview Brian Dable for the radio show, like, I don't know, 2 o'clock or something like that on the day before the game. Their team meeting was supposed to let out at, like, 2.05. We were supposed to interview him right after that. So I'm working out or whatever, and all of a sudden I get a text at, like, one. You know, 45. Oh, the team meeting ended early. Coach needs you. I'm like in on the grounds running. I don't have my mic. I don't have my recorder. And I'm like, oh, no. So I sprint. This is like half an hour before, right? I sprint, grab my stuff, go. I get in there. I'm like apologizing profusely. Like, Coach, I'm sorry. I got here as fast as I can. It was early. It's my fault. It's on me. I'm, he goes, Schmelk. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. 
And I go, Coach, I, I get it, but you got it. You know, I'm just trained. He goes, doesn't matter. Those guys aren't here anymore. I'm here. It's okay. Don't sweat it. Last, let, second story. Last game of the year this season. We're sitting in here. Bob Papa and I interview Coach every Friday. And once again, similar situation shows up like 20 minutes early. And he's like, I'm like, oh, it's Bob Ready. I go, oh, let me get him on the phone. We'll get him, you know, we'll get him in here. We'll, we'll knock it out. He goes, ah, oh, that's fine. I know I'm early. I'll just hang out until he gets here. Just sits there and waits. And then even funnier, one week we're supposed to do it, and he ends up getting wrapped up. It was one of the weird weeks where we had an off-schedule day with, like, off on a Friday. That was before the Eagles game, yeah, right? BKT. So his schedule, in his head, is all screwed up. He was supposed to, again, do our Friday morning interview with Bob. And he comes in, and um, we're waiting for him. It's like our time. He's not here. We're waiting, we're waiting. Eventually, I text Halen. I'm like, you know, just let Coach know that we're ready. It's no rush. We're not, like, rushing him. Just, you know, let him know he's not here yet. So, like, five minutes later, Dable comes in, like, half out of breath, profusely apologizing to us for being late. You know what I never got from another head coach? <laughs> profusely apologizing for being late. Because you know why? And I'm not being a jerk here. Their time's more valuable than ours. They're trying to win football Definitely. games. We're on their schedule. And that's how... Things with Dable are different. Like, you were on pins and needles with some of these other guys. And, by the way, sometimes that's good. You know, the coach, that makes you play better. Bill Belichick's another guy. Uh, you talk to Bill Belichick when he's on a football schedule, he's pleasant as hell. He's a really nice guy. Like, he really is. You get him when he's doing football stuff, it's all business. Yeah. And that's and nothing's wrong with that. No, nothing's wrong but, with that at all. Again, that's my personal experience. You can take that however you want. But that's my personal experience with the guy, which has been nothing but positive. Ron in Pittsburgh, he's up next. Ron, what's going on, man? Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Mm -hmm. So with the uh, regular season ending already, you know, as a, in a disappointment, I found myself thinking about next season, and I was trying to define to myself what success would be for next season. And I was struggling with that. And I was thinking, how do you guys define, you know, what would be a successful Ooh, season next year? And does it depend on what happens in, in free agency and the draft? Yes. Do you let that change your expectations? You do? Ron, Even you, though you, you, you know, you, some of that stuff is not up to the coaching staff? Ron, you literally beat me to my answer. It absolutely depends on what happens in free agency and the draft. No, it does. You know, do they bring in a lot of veterans to try to win now? Do they pivot to a younger team that's going to need more development. Now, I know fans don't want to hear that, but that is a pivot you can make, right? Where you want to draft a lot of guys, bring in young guys, and develop. Maybe you don't use all your cap space. Maybe you want to save it. Use it in a future year when you think you're closer to being able to compete. You know, there are different ways to approach this, Ron, and I think you made a great point. The coach has no control. No, I shouldn't say no, but the coach is not the ultimate decision maker on what happens in for agency in the draft. That's Joe Shane. So I can't hold the coach to the same standard without taking in consideration, Matt, what he's given by the front office in free agency and in the draft. Like, that's a factor. A hundred percent. But on that note, I mean, it has become very clear the last two years since Joe Shane and Brian Dable got hired here and have been in the building. They seem very much to be on the same page. Agreed. There is a very good connection between the front office and the coaching staff because of the two of them coming from Buffalo together and having a very clear, close, personal relationship outside of football. They seem to be, you know, genuinely friends, which is what, a good thing to see between your, the GM that's making, you know, roster and personnel decisions and your head coach 
who has to work sort of work with what he's given. So they are is that, ve- they is are that very a good cl- thing. I mean, I I personally think so. I think that would lead to you know Joe Shane taking Dable's you know opinion and considering it more than you know some a GM with a random head coach that he had no personal relationship with. Yeah, and I think that by the way is one of the things we saw from this postseason, right? You saw collaboration between coaches and GMs on these rosters to build these teams, right? Uh, in Green Bay, for example, you trust Matt Lafleur to train up a quarterback in Jordan Love, right? You trust him to train up these young wide receivers to come in. Uh, the continuity that they have in Kansas City with Andy Reid working with the front office there to bring in players and develop them. You see that you need to have the Lions too. The Lions too. It's a great one, yeah. Uh, with um, Dan Campbell and the GM Brad Holmes. Brad, Brad Holmes. Thank you. I was going to say Brad Allen, but I knew that wasn't right. He's the official. Um, but. You know, you have these groups, they have to work well together. You have to have a shared vision from top to bottom. Because the worst thing you can do is have a GM give a coach a player he doesn't want, even if the player is good and he's talented. If the coach didn't want that player and he doesn't know how to use him the right way to get the most out of him, it's not going to work. That's just the way it is. So, yeah, I think it certainly is a positive. Matt's 100% right. Yeah, okay. Well, that's, that's interesting to think about. And then, you know, we always hear that football's a business, right? So when it comes down to business, is there is their friendship going to get in the way of doing what's best for the organization overall, you know, with regards to free agency, coaching staff changes and things like that. But I, I, I like Shane. I like Dable. I'm given the benefit of the doubt. But, um, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they respond to this, this difficult season together and, and what their shared vision is, especially on the defense. So uh, I was never a 3-4 guy, but I think – um, you know, Wink Martindale kind of kind of convinced me that that defense is 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 great, but I'm longing for those old days of the four three. You know, Steve Spagnuolo's NASCAR package. I used to love <laughs> watching guys like that, so I got my eye on that defense a lot this off season. Appreciate it. Thanks for the call. The only thing I will say that the the first thing he brought up there, which is uh, will you know the relationship between Shane and Dable potentially get in the way of doing business. The only thing I want to say about that is it was public information. Everyone knew how close Brian Dable was, still is, to Bobby Johnson, the coach that was just like, oh, last week. They were in Buffalo together. He brought him over to the Giants from Buffalo to serve the same position, offensive line coach, and Dable made the tough decision to get rid of his close friend on the coaching staff because it was for the best of the organization. So great point. I, I personally don't think that Shane or Dable and the two of them together, I don't think they will let any close personal relationships get in the way of doing what is best for the present and the future of the New York Giants. Yeah, I don't think it's I think friendship is the wrong word. Because yeah, they're friends, but this is a business working relationship, right? Yes, Off the definitely. field, getting a drink in the team hotel on a Saturday night, that's them being friends. But sitting down, evaluating what players to select in the draft, Joe Shane's not going to say, oh, I like this guy better, but Brian Dable's my friend. I'm going to pick that player instead. Now, that, 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 is, that is not how this is going to work. Um, no. It's how they work together. That's important. And you want to have continuity and you want to have a, a shared vision. Again, that's the phrase I'll use um, between those guys. Two other things real quick. Don't obsess with 4-3-3-4. Teams are in base defense 15 to 20% of the time these days. It just doesn't happen a lot. And when you look at 
Wink Martindale's sub packages against 11 personnel and on third and long and second and long. He often has four guys lined up up front anyway. It looks like an even front. So yeah. don't get obsessed with odd and even fronts. But when you talk about shared vision on the defense, well, the defensive coordinator is going to have a huge part of that, right? And even when Wink Martindale was here, it was spoken about openly by Joe Shane that they worked really well with Wink, and Wink did a great job of identifying for the front office the type of players he wanted to work in their defense. And that's yep. how they were able to find guys like Deontay Banks, who fit. Kayvon Thibodeau, who fit in what Wink wants to do. So they're going to have to build a similar relationship with whomever the new defensive coordinator is, Matt, to find out what players he needs and he wants in his defensive system. And you hope that it's similar to what Wink wanted because you already brought a lot of those players in here. A hundred percent. I will say, though, that at least the two guys you just mentioned, Deontay Bakes and Kayvon Thibodeau, they can fit in just about any defensive system. I'm not really worried about having them, those two specifically, fit into, you know, whatever defense is run by the next coordinator. Thanks I, for sure. I think whoever it is that's running the defense, they will not have any trouble finding good and efficient ways to use both of those guys. Same with Bobby Okereke, by the way. Oh, he will fit as an inside course. linebacker in any scheme. The one thing Talk about Talk about an underrated free agent oh, signing. Dude, it's one of the better free agent signings in terms of year one returns that the Giants have had. It's 100%. That good. The only thing I worry about Kayvon is early downs, hand in the dirt, force player as a defensive end. Because he's a little light in the rear end for that. Those guys are usually 260, 270. Kayvon's more in the 245, 250 area. So that's the only thing. And he was good at setting the edge this year. So he played that role well as a run defender. But if he has to play inside of that offensive tackle or straight up on that offensive tackle rather than outside of him, I do wonder about, you know, he's going to get outweighed then by 60, 50, 60 pounds by some of these offensive tackles. That's the only thing I worry about. But I agree. I think otherwise he'll be fine. Yeah, that is a fair point. But you also have to keep in mind that this will be only Kayvon's second offseason where he yep. gets to fully train for an NFL offseason. A Good lot point. of people don't really keep in mind that as these guys are going into the draft, going into their first year, the training they do all offseason is inc extremely different than the training they do mm -hmm. the following year and the years to come. So I, I we saw a big jump from Kayvon from year one to year two. And having another a second now off season to do full NFL training, I wouldn't be surprised if he you know shows up come uh, training camp with a little more muscle on his body. I agree. So just just keep that in mind. I All think, I'm saying. I think that's a very good point. And show how fast these coaching cycles move. They just announced that the Seahawks interviewed Bobby Slowick, the offensive coordinator from. The, uh, first the year, Texans. First-year coordinator? First-year coordinator, first-year play coordinator. I think I was working for Pro Football Focus like three years ago. I think that the request from the Seahawks, I believe, is like his fourth or fifth head coaching request. It's crazy. After one look, year. I granted, get it. very good year. I get very it. Very good year. But, you know, look at Ben Johnson last year. I think that was his first year as a play caller after being elevated from their tight ends coach, if I recall I correctly. I believe so. And look, he decided what's best for me. He could have gotten a job last year if he wanted it. Yeah. He decided to One go back. One team in particular, I know, was very interested in signing him. He said, I want to do this for another year, so I'm more prepared. So I think that might be a good move for a guy like Slowick, who's kind of new here. And look, things ain't getting worse next year with CJ Shroud in year two. Definitely He's going to be just fine. <laughs> All right, That team is on the rise. <laughs> they are heading in the right direction. I, I just We did our final thing. We did our mock draft with uh, Tony Pauline on draft season, which is going up later today. And I had to pick for the Texans when their pick came up. And I started looking at their roster. There ain't a lot of holes. 
<laughs> it is a good roster. Like I, I was writing down needs for all the team, and I think I had two. For that. Yeah, and I'm like, Damn. wow. That is going to be a dangerous, dangerous team. And just keep in mind, Giants fans, the Texans last year, one of the worst teams in the league. That was a one-year turnaround. They went from one of the worst to now playing in the divisional round with so many young core pieces that are clearly going to be there for years to come. So just keep that in mind when you're you know, upset about how this last Giants season goes. Things can change very quickly in the NFL. We see it every single year. I think this year there were, what, six teams that didn't make the playoffs last year that made it this year? Something around that? It's always about half. I'd have to look. I, I haven't, I, you know, I should do the count for the next show. I haven't done the count yet. But yeah. I, I saw one statistic this morning that 19 of the last 21 seasons, there was at least one team that went from last place in their division to first place. 19 of 21? 19 of 21 seasons. That's a good stat. So, and usually it's six to eight playoff teams switch every year. It's usually about half. Yeah. That's correct. Lance so, and I have gone down back and done that over the last 10 years, and it's always around you know six or seven, depending on if there's 12 teams or 14 teams in. But really, 19 to 21, worst to first, huh? Yep. <sighs> Crazy. Well, now, if that would be the commanders this year, so maybe we don't want that. Not, but yes. <laughs> not worst to first. But, but your point is, is, is well taken. Yeah. I'll, and I'll, I'll go do the math on that in terms of new teams in the playoffs. I think that's a interesting number. Saitak, good job. Thank you. Pearson, what do you think? Are we, are we going to bring him back next week? What do you think? I think so. All right, we're going to bring him back. You're week to week, if you didn't know that, by the way, just FYI. <laughs> so if you mess up, really, Pearson has the hammer. He can just drop it on you any week and just say, all right, you're done. Contract. Yes, I got, exactly. I got to stay on Pearson's good side. Yes, you're on a series of 10-day contracts, much like the NBA. And we will, but eventually, maybe you'll get signed to a year-long deal if, all right. if, if you succeed. I know, I'll take it. Now, he is a Nets fan, by the way. We will forgive him for that. But that's, <laughs> we don't have to talk that, about the Brooklyn okay. Nets. <laughs> yeah, now, now you don't want to talk about them all of a sudden. No, Things not going so great. No, not, I still love Mikael Bridges. <laughs> no, he's a really he got good some player. good young players, but yes. it's a conversation for another time. It is. For Bad Side Tech, I'm John Schroeder. Thanks for joining us on Big Blue Kickoff Live, presented by Cadillac, the official luxury vehicle to New York football giants. We will see you next time, everybody. Managing your diabetes just got easier. The powerful new Dexcom G7 lets you see your glucose numbers on your compatible watch and phone without finger sticks. And because Dexcom G7 is the most accurate CGM system, you can be confident in your food, exercise, and medication decisions. And all those decisions can lead to big results, like more time in range and lower A1C. Get started at Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com. You've probably heard a lot about electrified vehicles lately. Well, Toyota has electrified options for every lifestyle. We've got hybrids, no plug needed. But we also have plug-in hybrids, if that's your thing. (laughs) You can even go 100% electric in the Toyota BZ4X. With so many options for reducing carbon emissions, Toyota is electrified, diversified. Learn more about our Beyond Zero vision for the future at toyota.com slash beyondzero.